It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. So how are you? Are you giddy because you've been away to conference? I'm giddy. I'm coming back down to earth. <laughs> is, it, is it wild conference? You know, like when companies have away days and things, people get a bit hedonistic. Is that how it goes? You know, I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning. What? What were you I doing? Know. I was sort of carousing in a kind of slightly nerdy sort of non-carousing way. <laughs> Can you tell me what you carousing looks like? Um nervously sort of drinking a bottle of beer, sipping a half <laughs> bottle of beer. Um, so uh, so I did this pub quiz, which of which more later. Uh, and then I went to the Mirror has a party, Daily Mirror has a party, which I went to. And then the people who organised the pub quiz, The World Transformed, aka Momentum, had a party and I went to that. So you um, were going... I resisted, I resisted bopping on the dance floor at you, that party. You went from one party to another party. I did. You they were next banged. door to each other, to be fair. <laughs> but um, how old were you when you went to your first conference? Um, I was 24 years ago, so 1993, so for 23 or something. Oh, because so, I always get the impression with you... That I went at the age of eight. Yes. No, I did not. I, 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 was, um, I was just watching it on telly in those days. <laughs> I just thought, because your parents both firebrands, right? Yeah, both sort of very engaged in politics, yeah. Was the stuff that you weren't allowed to do that the other kids were allowed to do because of the politics? No, I think they just dragged me on demonstrations, which other kids didn't have to go on. <laughs> uh, should we talk through what we have coming up this week? Why don't we? We are talking about technology, how to regulate it, uh, Uber, you know, the recent decision by uh, Sadiq Khan to uh, ban Uber in London, at least temporarily, uh, because of they were breaching, he said, licence uh, conditions. So we're we'll talking about that. And, and you know, is there a more creative alternative to 
Uber? You know, should the should there be a what they call a public platform? How do we regulate these big companies like Facebook and Amazon and uh, Google, which seem to take all our data? So we're going to talk about that with Nick Cernacek. And who's he? He's written a book called Platform Capitalism, which is about about these kind of issues. It is great to be able to just Google things, though, isn't it? It is. You know, I saw ninety percent of all searches I know, are done on Google. Well, it's unbelievable that ten percent of searches are done on something other than Google. Is that Bing. Yeah, I mean, who oh. is using that? So the only Google accidentally, are, yeah, it's you the sort ones, of end up with Bing. Yeah, yeah, oh, why have I got Bing? Their phones are preset yeah. to use Bing instead. Yeah, and you don't know how to reprogram it. No, that's has happened to me. So we also have comedian Beck Hill who had a storm in Edinburgh Festival this year. She uh, She's a very funny comedian. She's coming in to pitch some ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. And uh, she she recently had a somewhat viral video about Elon Musk as well. So I thought she would she would fit into this too. And he's a big tech entrepreneur. He, he is. He's the Tesla man. Tesla right? man. And he's going to build a Hyperloop. Yeah. I don't know what a Hyperloop is. Apparently it's something to do with you sort of you know, get from... One place to another, and it's it's like it's like Star Trek, basically. Are you down a bit? You going down a big tube, or you yeah, teleporting? something like that? I've got this sort of image of somebody lying on a tube, right? You know, it's like like a theme park, yeah. And then you sort of go whoosh, <laughs> and you then go from you know London to Edinburgh in twelve seconds, like or something. the things they used to have in the supermarket where they'd put their little capsules of money. And it would get sucked up exactly, to the office. That, that so it's like thing. that, but yeah, for people. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we've been asking you to get in touch and thank you to everybody who has done. I've been very... Um, bowled over. I have been bowled over, yeah, to use one of your cricketing terms, yeah. uh, by the response. So thank you to everybody who has got in touch through Twitter or email or Facebook or whatever. We will be addressing some of your... Some great contributions that we'll be talking about. But before all that, we're going to start with our reasons to be cheerful this week. Ed. Well, my reason to be cheerful, Jeff, was hosting the pub quiz. I'd always wanted to host a pub quiz. So it's a lifelong... Lifelong ambition. And, um, you know, when I realised I'd lost the general election, I thought, I really want to host a pub quiz. (laughs) Uh, That's my lifetime ambition, apart from the podcast, of course. And um, and I and so I suggested it to some of the the organisers of this this group of meetings that they had outside the Labour Conference. And I said, why don't we do a pub quiz? And so we were at the Comedia Club in uh, in Brighton, and we had about 300 people or so, and uh, about 45 questions. Nice. Were you wearing a gold lame game show? No, host's I, we didn't jacket. quite get the we didn't quite get the dress code right. I was sort of in a suit and a shirt, but otherwise it was a it was a fun event. But I'm going to ask you three questions. Okay. Now, actually, this was, it was more political, but I'm and we'll post all of the questions. But but I've sort of picked out three which are more general knowledgey. Okay. Now, I know you're a vegetarian, mm-hmm. but what do you think the national average is for the price of a Greg's sausage roll? I'm going to go for 90p. You're right. Yes, With, man of the people. You're within, man of the people. You're within 5p. It's 85, but I, t- but I said that you... That, yeah, Jeff, but London waiting. I live in London, so there's London waiting applied there. I mean, that is just nerdtastic. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we should be living in a Jeffocracy after <laughs> after that uh, answer. My second question is, and obviously, you know, you know a lot about music, so mm. this one will be really embarrassing if you didn't know the answer. Oh God! How many weeks was Aha's "Take on Me" at number one in the UK singles chart? I'm going to say four, and you'd be wrong, Jeff, because the answer is zero. Aha, it never got it's a Aha. It never got to number one in the UK singles chart. Do you it only kn- got to number two. Do you know that AHA are releasing an album of acoustic versions of all their big hits? I'm really uh, looking forward to that. 
I think they're just down to two members now. If they came along and said, Ed, you are perhaps the most famous AHA fan in the public sphere, would you consider being the third member of AHA? I'd say yes. I think I'd want there to be four of us, though, Jeff. I'd want you to be. Right. I want you to be part of it. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. As well. And the third question is, which football manager famously said, the socialism I believe in is everybody working for the same goal and everybody having a share in the rewards. That's how I see football. That's how I see life. Oh, God. Now you're asking me to name a football manager. You don't really I mean, know much about football. I mean, you the, know even less about football than I do. Yeah, the, the question for me would be name a football manager yeah. and I'd still struggle. He is quite a famous football manager. He managed Liverpool. Is it Kenny Dalglish? It's at least a, he did at least manage Liverpool. It wasn't. It was Bill Shankly. Oh, frankly, Mr. Shankly. Exactly. You've heard of Bill Shankly, yes, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you did pretty well. One out of three. <laughs> I mean, actually, pat- to be honest, patronise. To be honest, the winners, Calder Valley CLP, uh, who I give a shout out to, who beat the Guardian and the Financial Times. Unlucky, the Financial Times came second, I think. Um, and I accused them of cheating, by the way, at one point. The Financial Times, the Guardian basically said the Financial Times were cheating because they had their iPads out. And of course, you're not allowed to have your iPad out. And the poor bloke from the Financial Times was just writing an article about the pub quiz. I should have, back, frankly, disqualified the Guardian for sort of false, for you know, false reporting. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news about the Financial Times. The way you're describing it sounds like a spit and sawdust saloon. It, it was this quite spit and sawdust. Labour Party fringe it events was, alike. It was quite spit and yeah. sawdust. The, the, I was going to say, the winners called the Valley CLP they got something like 31 or 32 out of 60. So it was a pretty hard quiz. Would you like to hear my reason? I'd love to hear your reason to be cheerful. So my 17-month-old son, Eugene, walked for the first time this week. Now, 17 months is quite late. We were a little... I don't think we should be judgmental. We were consoling ourselves by thinking, well, you don't really hear of adults who just end up crawling because they never really learned how to walk. It was going to happen at some point. It was. When did you learn to walk then? I think I was 18. A couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Uh, I was 18 months old. All right, so, I see, so maybe it's genetic. Yeah, he's, he's, it's, well, there's certainly some evidence of progress there, isn't there? He's improved my score by a month. That means that his child will walk at 16 months yeah, and so on. Eventually, somewhere in my bloodline, there will be a kid that learns to walk at a normal age. And a year, yeah. eventually. The great, 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 your great, 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 great grandchild. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So we're going to talk about how you get these big tech companies to work for the public benefit and to play by the same rules as everyone else. And I, and I guess to, to some extent, control them, right? Have you had much to do with tech companies? Have they courted you? Have you been to Google and Facebook and those places? Uh, I've been to um, a place called Google DeepMind. It's quite exciting going to those places, I'll be honest with you. Because I guess us outside politics, we always think that these big, powerful corporations, they're trying to influence the politicians so i think about when, when it looked like you were going to be prime minister you know did you get the phone call from larry page or any of those guys say okay ed this is what we want you to do not really i mean i went and slagged off uh, google for not paying their taxes at the google conference and the guy eric schmidt decided not to come to my speech because obviously he thought it'd be a bit embarrassing uh to have me uh slagging him off and i and i was making the point that their whole motto was don't be evil mm. um and therefore they should be paying their you know proper taxes which which they claim they are and but, but i don't think they really are you know, paying what they should. Um, so not as much as I would have expected, actually. So do you want to tell us about um, our guest? So our guest is Nick Cernacek, the author of most recently Platform Capitalism, uh, which is a book about new technology, companies like Uber, and also the author of Inventing the Future. So Nick, it's good to have you with us. 
Sadiq Khan recently made the decision to, at least for the moment, take away Uber's license. Tell us what you think about that decision, but but more broadly, what should be done now? Yeah, so I think it's a good decision on the part of Sadiq Khan. I think it um, shows uh, basically his willingness to go up against these quite powerful tech companies. Uh, I mean, Uber has been trying to influence governments around the world and has typically succeeded. And I think that uh, Sadiq standing up to them the way that he did, he's not a risk taker, taker from what I can gather. So I think he's quite confident that he can win that case if need be. Uh, but I think that that really suggests to Uber that they're going to have to bow down to government pressure and have to actually succumb to these regulations. So I think Uber will back down. I think the appeal will be dropped. I think that they'll get their license back within probably a month's time. And now, is there a creative solution here, Nick? Because I suppose one thing that will strike people is, you know, Uber's got these question marks about the wages that the drivers get, question marks about these regulation issues. Is there some creative way forward for the ease and efficiency of an Uber-type service, but without the downsides? I think there is, absolutely. I think we have to recognise that, yes, it's cheap rides, but they're artificially cheap and it's not sustainable in the long run. So we can think of an alternative here. And I think the best sort of version of an alternative would be TfL developing their own- That's Transport for London. Transport for London, the sort of local legislators for transport within London, um, basically uh, building their own app, which would be enable drivers to use their app to have all the same sorts of services and efficiencies of the Uber app, but just owned and regulated by TfL itself. Now, what what does that actually mean? Does that mean, because it's not just Uber, there are lots of other companies, there's black cab drivers. Does that mean everybody would be on that platform or would it be, as so is the public is the public sector, TfL, just providing a, a sort of a, a platform which anyone can go or is it like a competitor to Uber? How should we think about that idea? So my ideal situation, without thinking about sort of the politics of this, would be that black cabs are on it, minicabs are on it, Uber's on it, whatever they want, they're all on it, subject to basic regulations. Now, in this sort of scenario, black cabs would, again, be competing, but I think this provides a better service for Londoners in general, and it helps the TfL regulate things like congestion and all of this. And now, now just explain to the skeptic about this idea, Nick. You, you're not advocating that TfL or the Sadiq Khan sets up a network of shops uh, in London. Why should the public sector, why does the public sector need to be doing this instead of leaving it to the market and the private sector? Yeah, so I think one reason why is because it could be a revenue generator for TfL. Uh, so TfL has lost some of its funding recently, uh, is sort of desperately in need of more funding. Uh, and this sort of service would be a way that they could actually generate more money. It does also become easier to regulate um, services on it. So you don't get into these periodic fights with a company like Uber. Instead, it's just you are providing the meta platform for these companies. And if they want to be on that platform and licensed in London, they have to follow the rules. Now, just explain this to me, Nick, because it's, I think this goes to a wider issue, uh, which we'll get on to. Why is Uber allowed to set prices which are making a huge loss for them. In other industries, I think I'm right in saying that they're sort of anti-competitive practices. So if you're a supermarket, you can't set prices so low that you just essentially put all your competitors out of business, make a huge loss, and then you know have the chance to sort of jack up your prices. Am I right about that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's predatory pricing, and that's not supposed to be allowed, but that is what Uber is effectively doing. I know in the US, for instance, so antitrust legislation, which would normally look after this sort of stuff, 
it focuses on the impacts on consumer prices. So if a merger, if a monopoly is going to raise prices for consumers, then it deems that monopoly to be unfair and uh, uncompetitive. If you're bringing down prices, though, which is what you know Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Uber have been doing, then these regulators basically just turn a blind eye to it. It's it's the effects of neoliberalism actually within um, uh, within the judicial system there. So it's an interesting that you mention Google and Facebook because these are in effect monopolies. Ninety percent of all searches done on Google, Facebook, I think, is is in the eighties in terms of its penetration. But it doesn't feel like a monopoly in the same way because you, as a user, don't feel like you're paying for it. How does this kind of thinking that you're talking about with Uber? How does this translate to those other big tech companies? So I think it's a little bit more complicated once we start thinking about other companies uh, for a number of different reasons. One is, well, a company like Google has multiple different services that it's offering. It's not just Google search. It's, you know, it's a robotics department, it's self-driving car department, all these other things. Same with Facebook. It's not just the social network. It's all these other services that it offers. So when we talk about nationalizing something like that or socializing it or bringing it into some sort of public ownership, it's slightly different. We have to sort of disaggregate from these these bigger entities. Um, there's also sort of different repercussions in terms of data and privacy. So the data that Google and Facebook collect on us is quite different than the data that Uber collects on us, and it's much more private data. So we need to have some sort of concerns about maintaining privacy, making sure that if they were brought into public ownership, there were sufficient sort of safeguards in place that enable uh, or, or rather prevent um, the surveillance state from being able to spy on us easily. For the person that's thinking like Jeff said, um, actually doesn't seem to be doing me any harm. You know, Google provides search services, maybe other things. Amazon, I can, you know, but do my shopping and so on. What's the potential, looking longer term, what's the potential harm of this this monopoly position that some of these companies are establishing? Well, I think there's two broad reasons. One is economic power. Uh, so you can imagine Amazon basically knocking off all booksellers, knocking off all sort of local grocery stores uh, with cheap prices and then jacking up the prices in order to make a massive profit. Uh, the other sort of reason is political power. And we've seen this with Uber, again, lobbying governments to change regulations in its favor. We've also seen it with Google. The biggest lobbyers in America, at least, are now tech firms. It's not the financial sector anymore. It's tech firms. So increasingly, they're exerting political power. The other sort of aspect is they're also starting to play political roles. Facebook, fake news, uh, all this stuff around the Trump election. It's a really good example of how these things are providing a public service, not just something for individuals, but providing something for society in general. And when they start taking on those public functions, I think we really need to be thinking about, do we want a private ownership of that or do we want public ownership? One idea that I've heard is we should think about this like the American government thought about AT&T, the telephone operator, in uh, the middle of the 20th century in America. So AT&T was essentially a monopoly, but the government then said that any patents they had had to be given away to others. Now, that would obviously have quite big implications, but I think it would mean that Google Maps and other things had to be made available to other uh, firms. Is that a conceivable idea? Is it a good idea? And, and how would that work? 
The NTT example is a really good one as well, because what happened afterwards was you had massive technological flourishing across the economy. I think that's a really interesting way. Rather than having these ideas and these technologies locked up within one company, making them publicly available is, is quite useful. Was there something with AT&T where the American government made them devote a certain percentage of their profits into research and development, and that's where a lot of innovation came from? Yeah. So this is, I think it's, this, for, for me at least, this is an open question about whether or not these tech monopolies are fostering innovation or whether or not they're hindering innovation. The sort of traditional story about monopolies is that because they have a monopoly position, they don't have to worry about competing. They don't have to innovate and do any research and development. I'm not sure that's the case with a company like Google or Facebook or Amazon. They do spend quite a bit of money on trying to innovate and trying to develop new technologies. Now, this gets back to, I think, something like Mariana Mazzucato's argument about the entrepreneurial state and sort of mission-oriented projects, that the public and and public funding is what enables these sort of long-term, large-scale moonshot projects, which really bring about technological change, uh, change, which really bring about improvement to society, and that companies don't do that because they're far too short-term oriented. And in terms of data, I suppose what struck me about this is you know, these companies are using our data. Should we have more ownership rights over that data? Should we be paying paid royalties by, you know, Google or, um, or you know, these other companies that are, you, that are using our data? Your, your, your email for free and you're getting your searches for free and that's the price that you I know, paying. but you're getting lots of adverts for sort of shoes or whatever yeah. uh, as a result of them using your data. I, I'm fully for more rights over our own personal data. And the new European regulations, which are coming into effect next year, are quite good in terms of bringing in some basic rights. So they include things like the right to be forgotten. So to have your data erased. uh, That's happened to me already, hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The right to data portability, which is another big one. So the ability to move your data from one platform to another, which means that, for instance, you wouldn't lose all of your contacts in Facebook if you moved to a different social media platform. So that's quite important, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. It's what they say in the jungle, portability. It, one of the reasons that Facebook has 80% or whatever it is or more of the kind of that social media traffic is because once you're on Facebook, you can't really move yourself and your, you know, your data and, and potentially your fr- you, can't, you can't get you can't get to your friends on Facebook apart from through Facebook. Right. So you're saying that if somebody built... Uh, if, Jeff if it, Book. Yeah. If I built Jeff Book, I would be able to build a platform if it was opened up the way you're talking about. Face Jeff, where, maybe. Um, where... where people's Facebook stuff could come and sit on my platform instead, and then that would encourage competition. And if that sounds outlandish, like with a mobile phone number. I mean, the mobile phone number, if you're with O2 or E or whoever, they don't own your mobile phone number. You own your mobile phone number. Is that, is that right, Nick? Yeah, and you can call anybody disp- no matter what service they're on. Uh, so it'd be a similar sort of idea. But then we sort of get to this issue of ownership over personal data. And I'm, I'm for ownership of personal data. But I think there's a real risk that we have to think about, which is what if a market starts developing for personal data? At that point, it becomes people who are you know, desperate for money suddenly saying, well, I'm going to sell all of my data. So the rich can afford privacy, but the poor have to sell their data in order to make a living. Better that than a kidney, though. <laughs> but And just on the issue of the sort of breakup of these companies, which will be obviously a very radical step, but it has been done with other monopolies in the past. Is that possible? Could we do that? How, where would that happen? Does that have to be global or is it in America? Or you know, How would that work? I'm not convinced that breaking up is the best way. Just because a lot of these services, the 
consumer benefits that come from them do come from the sort of economies of scale that emerge. So, you know, Google has access to tons of data about me. It can be very useful to me. If we start breaking that up, suddenly it's not so useful anymore. Um, so I think we need to be, maybe not necessarily nationalize these things, but think about socializing and bring them into public ownership in some sense. What does that mean for your Google or your YouTube or, or Facebook? Well, so China might be a good example where you don't have Facebook, you don't have Google, uh, and you've got a sort of local version of these things that have developed instead. So you're saying set up an alternative company actually is, is the way to do it. A sort of, I'm not sure that's the way right. to go, but that's an example of what's yeah. possible. So Jeff Book might have a chance after all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, then if Google wants to buy it, I'm, I'm yeah, uh, willing exactly. to talk. You're, you're available. Yeah. Your, your people will talk to their people. <laughs> um, the, the title of this podcast is Reasons to be Cheerful. Um, what's the best hope? Um, that... Apart from Jeff Book. <laughs> I think some sort of turning them into public utilities would be good. What would it mean to turn it into a public utility, just to explain? Yeah, so the basic idea is that if it gets labeled as a utility, classified as a utility, suddenly it has to be subject to a new set of regulations, a more stricter set of regulations, but it's recognized as being a sort of natural monopoly. So what would that mean for a Facebook or a Google in practical terms? So in practical terms, it might mean uh, you can only collect this data, you can't collect that data. Uh, you can only use the data for these purposes and not for those purposes. Uh, at least we've got to start talking about it because so far government's exactly. been basically asleep at the wheel, hasn't it? Yeah. It's just it, it, it's either not kept up with the technology or it's beguiled by it. Yeah, and this is even in the case in Europe where you've got um, the people who are most aware of these sorts of these sorts of changes, but their antitrust regulation, you know, they were happy with Facebook and WhatsApp um, colluding together. So yeah, I think there is. Uh, a lot of room for governments and regulators to to learn. So, Jeff, what do you think? I, well, your head hurts. <laughs> my head hurts a little bit. I'm surprised to hear words like nationalise being bandied around because uh, it's know, all the rage. It, it's surprising, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, you can call it socialisation, but it's surprising to hear something as as modern as tech companies being talked about in that context. It's so hard to keep up with what these tech companies are doing or really understand it, because you think it's for free, as you said earlier. The services are are often for free. And and we're sort of quite beguiled by the rhetoric. You know, it's all modern, open, democratic, you know, providing these great services for us. So there's sort of great aspects to it. And I think somehow we slightly get, you know, hoodwinked, actually. So of what you heard there, not only what sounds like the best idea, but what sounds like it, it, it would be something that was feasible. I think the two things I would pick out are one, I think this public platform idea for TFL, particularly you know when we think ahead to self-driving cars and all those things. By the way, not just in London, we can do it in other cities as well. And then secondly, I'm quite struck by this AT&T example from the United States, that AT&T was a big monopoly you know, the government did intervene. And, and I don't think governments can keep being asleep when it comes to these these huge companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, and all of that. I do think governments got to think, well, how are we going to regulate you so actually you do operate in the public interest and use examples like AT&T and its patents, forcing them to make their patents available. But I think that will be of benefit to consumers in the end and to all of us. <laughs> Listening to Reasons to Be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'd love to hear from you if you've got any thoughts on how we either rein in or um, utilise those big tech companies. You can email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at cheerfulpodcast, or you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com stroke reasons to be cheerful. Um, lots of stuff after talking about universal basic income last week. And the big question, so many people have asked this, is, um, and I'll use an example here from Scott who says, Great idea, but wouldn't this create hyperinflation? Wouldn't you also need price control? Now, now that is a good question from Scott. And in fact, it's a question that you asked Scott Santens last week, Jeff. Um, his explanation, which I broadly speaking agree with, I think, is that you're not just printing money in order to give people a universal basic income, because you are taxing people. So in other words, you're taxing the people who are the better off it, you know, you might be costing some money. I don't think you're talking about, at least not in the UK context, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of billions of pounds extra pumped into the economy. And in any case, you know, you've got a reasonably competitive economy. You've got inflation, which is it's gone up a bit since Brexit, but relatively low. So, so that was that that was the answer. And I, broadly speaking, buy the answer. So it wouldn't just be the same as everybody's wages go up a little bit, so every the prices go I up. I don't too. think so. I think it's more redistributing money from some people to, to others, actually. Have an email here from Adam Dutton, who says on UBI, my main niggle regards exacerbating the um, sense that we don't owe society anything in return. Uh, it's not a new issue and one which affects all segments of society. And and I, I was thinking, oh, here he's, uh, he's going to go into a rant about layabouts. But what he says is most awkwardly, wealth creators think that they've done their bit by creating wealth and so shouldn't have to pay tax. We don't, as a society, have a yardstick for what giving back is or what being part of a community means and demands of us. Look, it's a fair point. Um, I think in a way, though, this does partly depend on your outlook. I, I think what, what I feel about universal basic income is if it works, and we'd have to see in practice if it worked, actually, people are going to be choosing to give back. I actually got asked a question about this at an event I did at Labour Buddy Conference by a, a lady from Wales, I think, who said, you know, wouldn't it also help people with caring responsibilities, volunteering and so on? I sort of fundamentally think human nature is quite good. And and I think people will will choose those things. Adam also goes on. I should have said the idea of a world in which a percentage of people sit watching old episodes of Star Trek and write terrible poetry and nothing else does not appoll me. I tend to agree. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's your poetry. Uh, it's it's bloody awful. Yeah, no, my. <laughs> but it's it's that idea that we came up against last week, which is what do we contribute to a society? What is it to be a citizen beyond just generating GDP? And that's that's a bigger question that this taps into. I, I guess. I agree. This comes from Chris King, who says, Hi, Jeff and Ed. I've been following UBI for a while, 
Any thoughts on why no political parties seem to have picked it up? Myself and two friends run a podcast and we have discussed putting forward a prospective member for parliament at the next election. Just don't stand against a- me, Chris. Just <laughs> please. Th- thanks very much. He says there's a the sing- podcast party. There's a single issue party for UBI. Oh, I see a UBI party. Yeah. Well, don't stand against me. No, I, I think actually Labour is picking up. I think John McDonnell, Labour Shadow Chancellor, has expressed uh, an interest in it. But I think some Conservatives may have even expressed a, a, a broad interest in it. But politics can often be behind on these things it takes time you know I, I don't think it's a i don't think a fully fledged ubi is going to be in any party's manifesto at the next election but hopefully labor i'm labor mp will contribute will 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 say they'll do some pilots of this and learn from some experience and um single issue parties uh look single issue parties can make a contribution um but in a way, I think single issue, sing, single issues, maybe this is self-interested, but I think single issue groups can put issues on the agenda in a very powerful way. And then political parties need to pick them up. Do you, um, when you stand in Doncaster North, do you have any sort of uh, like monster raving loony candidates standing against you? I think I had Nick the Flying Brick, actually, in 2015. Um, (laughs) You know, I was quite worried at this election because I didn't have Nick the Flying Brick taking votes off my opponents as a sort of (laughs) part of protest. I was thinking, where is Nick the Flying Brick? Maybe if you're feels, listening, Nick, he feels his single issue has been yeah, addressed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There was that one who stood against um, Theresa May, Lord Buckethead. Oh yes, uh, he he. I was quite. I got. I think I got retweeted by Lord Buckethead. I was quite. Uh, I thought that was quite a big moment for me. And then then there was the great example of the comedian Al Murray as the pub landlord standing against Nigel Farage in Thanet. And then when they, if you ever saw the clip of them announcing the results and of course Nigel Farage didn't get the parliamentary seat the expression on Al Murray's face it's been played over again and again and again and what I didn't realize um Al later told me is that you were told in advance so you're not finding out the result you are told of it you're just told just before you go on so it's all show business the reaction you have on the platform is a bit of show business today show business for ugly people actually (laughs) And we had so many suggestions, which I'm sure we'll come on to in the coming weeks. And that's not to say that we wouldn't and like keep more them coming. Keep your suggestions coming because we are gonna we are gonna do them. Uh, I'm gonna give you one that isn't on the subject of UBI. This yeah. comes from Danny Parkinson, who is talking about moving Parliament. He says, as an idea, following on from your chat about the Houses of Parliament, um, which I guess was about Prime Minister's question time in the last episode, with the renovation of Westminster, what do you guys think of the idea of taking Parliament to another city or place, having a house that isn't as an intimidating to new MPs. Surely it'd be a boost to a city like Manchester, Leeds or Liverpool, make money selling the commons and not spend so much on doing it up. Well, I'm quite open to it. I, I'm, I, my colleagues who are in sort of more in charge of these things say there are massive practical issues about it, but I don't see why we shouldn't go to Birmingham or, you know, have some way in which Parliament gets sits elsewhere in the country, at least for that period. But I just knows? take like one year in every four or something. Yeah, I mean, there's probably security and other obligations, the whole, a whole having to build a whole new building. But, you know, I think we should think creatively about that because I think it is, Parliament is too London focused. See, those of us outside politics, we think it's going to be these MPs, oh, I'm going to be miles away from my favourite fancy restaurant, though. Yeah, that, that's true. That is a problem. <laughs> So we'd love to hear from you. We would love to hear your thoughts on the big tech companies and other ideas you've got that could become potential reasons to be cheerful. Please get in touch. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. 
And here to pictures, ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful, comedian Beck Hill. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, do you mind if we play a little bit of your song about Elon Musk? Because we've yeah. been talking about tech in this episode, and it feels terribly appropriate. It's so. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it, you've got to see it with a video, really, on, on YouTube. But um, here's a little snippet of it without. My name is Elon Musk, and my idea of fun is an enterprise that harnesses the raw power of the sun. And I am currently digging a lair under LA. I mean, not a lair, definitely not a lair. It's an underground highway, not a lair. All I want to do is spend some time with you. You can be my girl as we take over the world. I mean, figuratively, not actually. Please don't leave me. The voice there is Jay Foreman. Yes, yeah, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) So what's with the fascination with Elon Musk then? I think he's amazing. I think he's absolutely brilliant. But with a touch of the James Bond baddie. Yeah, well, that it kind of, it basically came about because I kept telling people how much I love him and they were worried for me. And then. Does he have a white cat, do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Tearless now, he's patting it so much. Um, uh, and then they were like, oh, he's, he's a supervillain though. And I was like, he's not. And they're like, Beck, he's, he's a billionaire genius. Oh my God. This is like when you're dating a bad boy and your friends are all telling, he's no good for you. (laughs) I mean, that's it with these tech people. You see, they, they kind of pull all over your eyes and make you think that they're all nice and cuddly, don't they? And then meanwhile. The thing is, I don't think he does. Like if if you actually read up about, there is nothing about him where he's like, oh, I'm just this really nice guy. Oh, I see. That's interesting. But I just, I like it. I've been uh, listening to his biography and he once sent out an email to all the SpaceX employees with the subject line, uh, acronyms seriously suck. I was like, you put a butt joke in an official email. Like, I love that. I love that. It took me a while to, for, to yeah. <laughs> register. Uh, do you want to give us your first idea back? I think that if you are going to tell a woman how she should deal with harassment, either in person or on Twitter, first you have to go and find someone who's harassing a woman and tell them off. Like right. that's that's the only, you can still tell them how you think they should have reacted, but the first thing you have to do is find someone who's harassing a woman and tell them off. Because I think so. I think women are told far more how they should deal with a harasser than people are told not to harass. Well, we've had this thing this week at the Labour Party conference where Laura Koonsberg, you know, who's the political editor of the BBC, has had to have a bodyguard. It's not a good look, and it's you know for someone to be harassed like that. Yeah. Well, like it's not to say that other people don't get harassed. Like I'm not. It's not a mutual thing. But it's next level stuff for women, though, right? Well, what started me off on this is um, uh, someone uh, was talking about how they got into a cab and the driver said, uh, you smell nice, and then that, that, which is fine. Like, you can kind of, and she just went, oh, I'm not wearing anything, sort of deflected it, and then he was like, oh, well, I think it smells amazing. And then he just kept talking to her and she put, like, she put on her headphones, but he kept talking while she had her headphones on and was clearly not interested in chatting. And that's, the the annoying thing about that is that's not like, that's not a reportable incident. You can't be like, oh, they told me I smell nice. Like, but it's it just meant that she was uncomfortable for her entire cab ride. And then she has to pay him for that honour. And, um... And so she she put this up on Twitter and then someone replied saying, oh, this is why I offer free 
kung fu lessons or jujitsu lessons for women. Uh, women don't realize how dangerous they can be, um, and oh I want to make them feel more strong. And I was like, look, on one oh on Lord. one side, like it's good that you're encouraging women to learn to defend themselves, but how about first of all, we you can't take someone out for saying you smell nice. Like that's the problem here is that he's not being harsh enough that you can just put him in a deadlock or something like yeah. that. But the other part is like everyone's so quick to say like, oh, I would have kicked him in the bollocks or I would do this. And it's like, how about you tell someone not to put women in that position Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. we don't have to think about how we would react in that situation? Ugh, it's relentless. So, yeah, yeah my, my answer is... So you've got to go and explain to the guy who made you feel uncomfortable, made the girl feel uncomfortable by saying, oh, you smell nice, rather than go and tell the woman she should karate chop him. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm not even saying you can't tell women they should karate chop them. Just before you do that, <laughs> tell someone else off. That's it. That's all it's it good. is. It's good. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else you got? I think that bed shops, um, it, they should, it should be compulsory that they open their doors at night to um, anyone uh, sleeping rough on the streets and that they should be allowed to sleep in the beds in bed shops. Good idea. Yeah. At first I was sceptical because I think are we unnecessarily taxing bed, bed shop owners, but actually you're helping them drum Nice up of you trade. to think of the bed shop owners. Who, will, I think that's why who will speak I think for the bed entirely, shop owners? I think entirely difficult of you to think of the bed shop owners. Uh, are we having, having that? We're having that. Okay. Yes. Um, what's your next idea? Uh, next one is leading on from ones that Grania talked about uh, on the last episode. And this is to do with the question time where everybody's like, rah, 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 like that. I think they should introduce the same rules that you get at school. Simple as that. I think well, you, if everyone's talking, they have to put their hands on their head. Like the speaker puts their hands on their head. You know, head at my the kids' kids. school, they yeah. say, the teacher says, uh, uh, one, two, three eyes on me. And the kids have to say, one, two eyes on you. Maybe we should do that. Yes, now, yes, that's so exactly So the speaker it. says, one, two, three eyes on me. And then all of us say, one, two eyes on you. That's exactly I mean, it, it would be quite yeah. embarrassing to have to do it. But that, that's it. I think because, no, but it's embarrassing, especially as someone who's, who, who, is come over from Australia and I remember the first time I watched it and I was like, how is your country running? As I mentioned before, before we started recording, I do stand up for children sometimes and they are better behaved than, than your politicians. Yeah. yeah. And so I think um, what it should be is, yeah, like one, two, three eyes on me, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, uh, you should be shamed the way that children are shamed. Um, if you're caught talking, you get um, detention. Um, and if you do it too many times, then you're expelled. You're not allowed to be an MP anymore. Tell you, it's, it's certainly got something going for who, who do you think would be the first person to be expelled from House of Commons, Ed? Well, that's a good <laughs> question. Not me. I'm ready to choose. Um, well, it's, you know, it's funny. It's a bit anonymous. It's a bit like in the classroom. You know, people are quite careful about the way they do it. Right. Or passing notes under the well, desk. Well, it's more that they shout, but then there's lots of them, lots of people sitting there. Or, you know, it, it, it's this thing you can't quite, I don't think you can ever kind of, well, I, I don't know. I think once you get rid of the shouters, like yeah. you just start, it would slowly start chipping away. But, you know, the, fun, the funny thing is that the, um, uh, youth Parliament sits in uh, the House of Commons. And when I first became an MP, I said to one of the old lags, uh, oh, but at that point, the Youth Parliament didn't sit in the House of Commons. They'd sit there once a year. Uh, this mm. is like, you, you know, teenagers who've been elected and um, by, by their peers. And uh, and he said, oh, no, we can't have that because think how they might behave. And anyway, the Youth Parliament does sit in, par- <laughs> does sit in the House of Commons. They behave so Honestly, they behave so much better than yeah, us. I mean, yeah. like miles better it's than us. It's a really, you set a really bad example, yeah. I think. Um, that channel should be like locked off. 
parental control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no child should be able to see that. That's how it works. It's not true. I think um, it looks like Prime Minister's Question Time is going to come up week after week. It after does. Week. Yeah, it does. Uh, Beck, is there anywhere where people can go to see you anytime soon? Um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm I'm all over the place basically. So we've got um, a lot of dates coming up. Uh, the quickest way to check is at uh, beckhillcomedian.com. Um, I've got a little gigs link there, and um, and I'm on Twitter a lot, which is just at beckhillcomedian or be chill comedian if you read it wrong. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So that's fairly much us. Next week we're going to be talking about the gender pay gap. And what we can do about it. it was 40 years ago, more, I think, that Parliament introduced the Equal Pay Act, which was about equal pay for work of equal value between men and women. But there's still a yawning pay gap. It became a big issue over the summers of the BBC and the top presenters of the BBC, but obviously goes much deeper and wider than that. We're going to be talking about an idea they're trialling in uh, Massachusetts, in Boston, that can make a contribution to tackling it. And we're going to be talking about the wider issues involved. And maybe go and watch the film Made in Dagenham in the yes. meantime. Very much speaks to that. So thanks to our guests, Nick Cernacek. The title of Nick's book again is... Platform Capitalism. And to Beck Hill, and you can follow Beck on Twitter and find out where she's going to be playing near you soon. Emma Corsham produced our podcast with research and support from Alex Weiss-Brice and Lindsay Todd. Emily Power made our artwork. Our announcer is Gail Lofthouse, and James Deacon produced our idents. You can email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com, find us on Twitter at cheerfulpodcast, and facebook.com stroke reasons to be cheerful podcast. We welcome more suggestions from you. And uh, are you ready? You ready, Ed? Yeah, I'm, I'm revving up to it. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> he's been Ed Miliband. And he's been Jeff Lloyd. And these have been Reasons to be Cheerful. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.